Welcome back to the Mindfulness Academy podcast. I'm your host, Amy Morgan. And on the second section, the second part of my conversation with Tom Sproles, um, we're going to delve into more mindfulness and uh, mortality, I guess, is kind of the, the main point of our conversation. So we'll hop right in. You and I have talked a little bit about loneliness, uh, in a previous uh-huh. conversation. Um, and you had told me that, that people are lonelier than, right. than that we in general as, as humanity are lonelier than we've ever been. That is your sense right. as a funeral director. What makes you say that? Well, the families that I serve it, it make me say it. Um, I, I observe that Uh, I've also done some reading and research. I can't really cite anything specifically, but the research is there that we are more lonely than we've ever been. Uh, Arthur Brooks, I don't know if you're familiar with Arthur Brooks, who's a Harvard uh, business professor and uh, social scientist, uh, social researcher. And um, uh, in fact, I just took one of his classes called The Science of Happiness. Tremendous, tremendous class. But um, he cited some uh, research uh, that shows that that we are more lonely than ever. It, really, it stems from the technology. Technology has overtaken our lives. I hate it every Sunday morning, and I should turn it off, the notification off, but I don't on purpose. I hate it when it shows my screen time on, on my phone. Your screen, your screen time last week was however many hours per day. And it blows my mind that I spent that much time on there. And so that is time that we are taking away from meaningful uh, relationships. And, um, and it's a pandemic. We went through a pandemic, but we are in a pandemic of loneliness. And, and the, the pointers say it's only going to get worse. And so we have to do things to push back against that. Um, you know, used to... People attended church, um, yes, for a spiritual component, but it was also for a social component. Uh, you know, we didn't have 400 channels on the TV that we could, you know, sit there and, and watch everything on. We actually got out and, and, and had conversations and was in physical proximity to other human beings. And that cannot be replaced by technology uh, effectively. Uh, it just it, it's just not uh, an appropriate replacement. And so I think if you are grieving, especially at a certain point, uh, when you first enter the the overwhelming wilderness of grief, you're naturally going to withdraw. But if we can at some point push back against that and get out and be with other people, especially other people who are grieving, who may have different experiences than you, but but they're walking a grief journey, um, uh, then, then it's so important that, that we get out among other people, and that will help us with our grief so very much. But right now, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a period of isolationism and, and loneliness, and I'm afraid it's only going to get worse unless we take measures to turn off our phones, actually get out and be with people, find groups, do something. You know, at at a certain point, uh, you've got to get out and and be a part of some group. It doesn't have to be a thousand people, but, you know, find your people, find five friends who are doing things that are of similar interest. 
whether it's knitting or, or motorcycle riding or, or whatever, hang gliding, whatever it is, um, you know, get out and be around other human beings who, you know, walk this experience, this human experience that we all must go through together. Well, as we prepare to enter into a deeper discussion, deeper dive into mindfulness, uh -huh. I know that uh, you had shared recently that you experienced a dark night of the soul. Sure, sure. A lot of people do. And right. I'm wondering if you would tell me about that. Sure. And uh, you're you're really the first that I'm telling about this and I'm doing so publicly. <laughs> uh, but but it's good. It's good to share. Um, 2015 was a super difficult year for me. Uh, and the stars all kind of aligned uh, to take me down. I think um, our, our oldest uh, child, our oldest daughter got married. Uh, so that was a big change. Um, uh, I would, let's see, I would have been 45 years old, just ripe for a midlife, uh, crisis or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I didn't really, uh, call it a crisis per se, but, I, but it, it got very close to a crisis. Let's say it that way. Um, I'm grateful that I was able to get through that time and, uh, not do anything stupid, uh, or, or life-changing, you know, but, uh, but it was the darkest journey that I've ever walked. Um, there were several things. I was in a very difficult partnership, business partnership, uh, not here in Newcastle, but I owned other funeral homes with partners in other towns. And, um, and that was, there was a lot of problems in that. Um, I buried in 2015, I buried 15 infants and children. You know, in most years, we may have one or two, um, but 15, 2015 was just uh, overwhelming grief, overwhelming grief, difficult situations, not normal situations. And while I'm, uh, I'm, we changed churches, there are just a whole lot of factors in that that really just made me pull back and, again, uh, tend to my own soul and walk that difficult journey um, and it was a journey of grief. It was a, it was a journey of loss and uh, in, in several different ways. And so I had to, to uh, be mindful and I had to feel that and work through each one of those. Um, I've never experienced a year like that in my entire life before or after nothing has come close to that. In fact, it really, it went through 2018. I started uh, actually, when I got on some medication, uh, I went to my doctor. Uh, I didn't tell my doctor, but my my sister happens to be the uh, head of a certain hospital, and my doctor happened to be there. And so she took the she violated HIPAA and shared with my doctor what what some of the problems I was facing. Any any any, we had a long conversation. He said, "Tom, you're either getting ready to have a nervous breakdown, or you've." He said, "As I think, you've already started it." And he said, if we don't get you on some medication to get the levels in your brain back up, he said, we'll never get out in front of this. It'll affect you for the rest of your life. Probably the most helpful thing I ever did. I, you know, I appreciated everyone's prayers and their concern and, and all of that. But quite frankly, the medication, uh, I was on it for about a year. 
uh, probably about 14 months. And then, then we slowly went off it and, and it helped me more than anything. Uh, but um, it was indeed a dark night of the soul that um, I had to walk through. There was no escaping it. I had to walk through it and um, I had to uh, make some changes in my life. I, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a helpful person and uh, I can get overextended uh, I resigned from seven boards in one day, <laughs> and and I still remained on. I picked the two or three that I enjoyed the most, and uh, stayed on those and resigned uh, seven in one day. I, I had to, you know, become aware, become more mindful of, uh, you know, how I was overextended and and in lots of different areas. So made some adjustments and. Uh, I'm in a much better place right now, but it was it was the hardest year that I've ever ever experienced. I don't want to go I don't want to go through anything like that again. Yeah, it's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I sure. really appreciate that. Um, hopefully, that helps someone else who is yes. or has been going through um, something of that nature. Some hope that there's you know a way to the other side. And it sounds like right. it, it take it, it took a while. I mean, it, it took a while a and, and, and I'm good. Yeah, exactly. And that's when I first heard the word mindfulness It was during that time as I was reaching out to, you know, research and to find things that would help me that uh, I read some books on mindfulness and uh, and I started becoming mindful. I started becoming aware of of lots of different things that before then I was not aware of. And so um, it it really it really helped me and has helped me to this day. Sometimes um, I have found in my own life that I go through very difficult situations, and then something else really difficult comes along, and I think, "Huh, if I hadn't gone through the previous situation, right. this might have taken me to a very dark place." Oh, so true. Um, and so it, sometimes it can help us. Um, build up. I, I don't know if that's a, your experience, but I feel oh, very keenly in my own life that um, I also went through a very difficult period and mindfulness, um, but like kind of a flashlight, <laughs> you yes. know, at the very end of, of this Good tunnel and kind of helped pull me through. Right, those right. skills um, were invaluable. And in fact, when my father passed and we have lost uh, a number of family members, um, yes. like I mentioned over the last few years, um, helped equip me. Um, the, yes. the tools that I learned through that dark time helped tremendously. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Through, through this period. And I've told several folks that I don't know how my life would look had I not learned those skills prior to 2020. I, I right. think it just um, was so much. And, and, and that's a lot of the reason why I have this podcast is that sure. I learned it and it helped me so much. And yes. I am, it is my mission to share about mindfulness and inspire yes. folks to learn more about it so that there are more tools in our tool belts. Right, um, right. Life keeps coming at us, right? You know, oh, it, where does. it does. Yes. It really does. Lots, lots of troubles in life and, and joys. And honestly, I keep reminding myself that it is just important to be present for the moments of joy. Yes. Because that's what I believe sustains me through right. difficult times is when I Absolutely. have filled up my cup with the joy, yes. then I can make it through, um, the harder, harder times. Right. So, um, 
Yeah. What a story. Um, so much to bear during that time. It's interesting how life sometimes does align the stars where you think, yeah, yeah. Oh, good grief. <laughs> my best friend, my best friend said, I had, and he's a pastor. Uh, he said, I have never seen the stars align to take somebody down like I have with you. And, uh, and there were, uh, I remember talking to the doctor. He said, well, tell me what's going on. And I listed about 14 major things going on. And he said, Tom, you know, two or three, most people, two or three of those things you mentioned would have put them over the edge. He said, that's how serious it is at what we're dealing with here. Two or three of these issues that you mentioned would, would, would uh, uh, send somebody into a complete nervous breakdown. And so it really was at a crucial, crucial point. And, um, but, but being mindful and being able to observe and to uh, step back and, and see things as they really were and make some needed adjustments uh, sure helped, helped get, get through that. It's amazing that we go through life and so many people go through life totally unaware. They're just oblivious and they're just, they're just in a, a, a frenetic pace for whatever reason. Maybe they're trying to, um, you know, get ahead in life or just doing life. And at some point, uh, the world stops spinning and you start, the rose colored glasses come off and you start seeing things as they really are. You start seeing people as they really are, and you, you start seeing uh, circumstances as they really are, and you stop sugarcoating, and you stop lying to yourself about what's really going on. And when you can get truthful, and then you can start getting help. When you can become, I mean, awareness is half the battle. It, it really is. It's amazing the things that fall away just when we become aware of it. And so having an awareness practice, which I, I don't know what the technical definition of mindfulness is, I just call it an intentional awareness. I'm intentionally aware of what is going on in the present moment. And I'm going to give myself fully to the present moment and, and be able to figure out what's going on right now and, and be present. And so uh, that's just how I define uh mindfulness in my own way is, is intentional awareness. And your path to mindfulness really started to sprout and uh, uh -huh. kind of come to, into formation during the dark night where right. you, you were seeking out yes. um, inspiration. You're seeking out answers. Right. And um, so folks would tell you about it or you would start being referred to different books and you that's know, just kind of how the stones lined up. What what I would what I would love to say is that I had folks there, friends who helped me through that time. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Amy, that that uh, there my friends disappeared. They they disappeared. They they could not handle me the way that, not the way that I always was. I, I, I changed from what their perspective of me was and they could not handle it. And it, it made them, and they just scattered. They just scattered. This is not the Tom we know. He's questioning things. What are you, how are you questioning your faith? How are you doing this, this, and this? And, and so I would love to say my friends rallied around me and supported me through that time. And I did have 
a few who who did show some support, but uh, it was a pretty harsh uh, reality check when when I've been the one to support all of my friends and be there for all of my friends through whatever they're going through. They they scattered and were gone, uh, and they couldn't handle what I was going through at the time. And I remember going to I did seek out a counselor, which the one of the best things that I that I ever did. And um, I remember her saying, you know, Tom, you you're going you're going to come out of this. And she said, and you're going to be surprised how how close you are to who you were before this. You're going to be very, very close. But that little bit of difference will make all the difference in the world. And it has. And um and of course, my friends came back and now I'm I'm more normal again and, and I'm not questioning things again and and not asking, you know, uh, questions that they can't answer. Um, but I got through that time. But what I did find is um, uh, and I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a Christian and I'm a Christ follower and, and I believe uh, in, in Christ. However, there are certain things that the what the way I was brought up, they, they kind of focused on a certain area. And it really wasn't so much in how do I get through this thing called life. It was basically, listen, you you just, you know, you you get saved and and you follow Christ and and one day you'll get to heaven and and, and that's pretty much it. And and the focus was on salvation. And that's good. But there's very little in our culture, in our in, in the circles that I grew up in, about actually living life and getting through difficult times and, and all of that. So when I started studying, in fact, I've, I've claimed since 2018, and my friends hate it when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, I'm going to write a book called Five Buddhist Practices That Every Christian Should Employ. <laughs> and... There were just, there are some, uh, you know, other uh, thought leaders and, and, and uh, religions, if you will, that have kind of focused in a different area that I think we can learn from them, right? We can learn from them. I, I learned from my Buddhist friends. I've learned a lot about suffering, uh, about mindfulness, about sitting in silence and in stillness. Um, you know, one of our practices in prayer is is basically in the way I was raised is you just you just start asking God, thank God, and then start asking God. And instead of sitting there and asking God, is there anything you want to tell me? I'm just going to sit here and whatever you want me to know, whatever you want to ask of me, I'm just going to sit here in silence. We don't tend to do those sort of things. And it's amazing when we do. Uh, and, and just being more contemplative uh, in our prayer life and in our uh, devotions and in our life um, and, and asking, you know, God, maybe what would you like to show me here? Uh, I'm, I'm tired of doing all the talking. Uh, how about we have a real conversation here and I'm going to shut up and, and listen to you for a change. And, and so some of those things that I've learned have been invaluable to me as I've drawn closer not further apart, but closer because I have uh, listened more and and observed more and been more mindful and and uh, practiced some some techniques that have helped me uh, 
with my anxiety and and uh, actually make it through life, actually do life in a more healthy, healthy way. Thank you for sharing that very much. So I'm wondering, and you've kind of alluded to some of this, um, but I'm wondering if you have any mindfulness practices that have been central in your life in leadership. Sure, sure. Well, I do uh, every morning uh, try to take, and sometimes it's five minutes and sometimes it's 15 minutes, but just to sit in stillness and in silence and uh, kind of focus on my breath. And uh, I'm not one that uh, I've never really found, you know, using a word or, or just focusing on my breathing has helped me. And uh, in just sitting in stillness before a, a, a day that I have to go, you know, serve families who've had losses. That's very, that's been very helpful to me. And so I, I kind of do that before I, I read my scriptures and read a devotional and before I pray. And then during prayer is to, to not be so rushed and to sit in stillness and, and talk to God more uh, as a, as we would a, a friend and a conversation as opposed to just, uh, you know, telling him what all I need him to do. Um, at work, I have tried to implement that in several different ways. Before, before I make funeral arrangements with a family, and sometimes it's very, very difficult. We're really busy and, and say I've been, I'm, I'm at the cemetery and I've got a family coming in to make funeral arrangements at four o'clock and I'm the director. I have two other directors, but if I'm handling this family and I, you know, it's five or it's 10 minutes till four and I know there's a family coming in and the family hasn't left the cemetery and I'm feeling all this stress and I finally get away and I fly back to the funeral home, back to the funeral coach in the garage and I need to go in and meet this family. I don't just rush in to meet the family. I'll take a few minutes, uh, three, five minutes just to sit there and to recenter myself and to um, uh, have a prayer and to um, get my energy back in alignment before I take that into this family. Uh, I don't want to come in in a big rush into this family that's just had a loss. Uh, and so we're all responsible for our own energy. And, and some of us has big energy and some of us has small energy, but, um, but we're all responsible for that. So I, I try to do that. I, I do it in other times, you know, before I go into a home where a death has occurred, uh, uh, when I arrive, I will sit there in the car for 30 seconds or a minute just to remind myself of what's important, remind myself to slow down, to listen, and just be with this family. And so, you know, sometimes, and, and this comes and goes, but if we're in a particularly stressful season, I'll set a reminder on my phone. For whatever reason, it tends to be 3 p.m. 3 p.m. tends to work for me during the day. But I'll set a reminder on my phone and I'll take 10 minutes. And, and I have this little place in my office. It's a dormer. If you look at the outside of our funeral home, you see these dormers. And, and in my office, I have a dormer with a window in it. And I have a, a chair there from a beloved Lutheran pastor friend of mine um, who has uh, passed on. But we had a he was one of my dearest friends on earth. And, and uh, I have his chair and I will go sit in that and, and close my eyes and sit in silence for 10 minutes. And, and that helps me through a, a difficult time. Um, I've not you know, I'm not super uh, big into mantras. 
but there, there have been some that I have used, um, uh, especially before I'm doing public speaking. And um, before I have to do something hard, I, I will, I'll roll pause and, and, and uh, say something that will, will help. Uh, but that's kind of my practice uh, at this point. Um, and and uh, not a lot more than that, I would say. But going through the day, being, reminding myself to be mindful, being present in the moment, be here now, uh, listen to both what's being said and not said, and just being aware um, is, is tremendously important. I'm wondering, you, you spoke earlier um, about how different folks um, process grief and how not uh-huh. grief is the same, even to women who've lost their spouse of 50 years, um, that that could be very different, how they experience it and what happens as a result yes. of that. Um, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about how someone's Enneagram impacts their grief or grieving style from, from what you've observed. I'm sure there's not sure. a hard and fast rule, but a, there, there are likely some tendencies. So talk to us about that. I think it could sure. increase our compassion for ourselves yes. and for other people. For others. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I have always loved uh, studying personality. Uh, I've always, uh, I probably should have been a psychologist actually. Um, uh, but but I, I love studying human behavior. I love studying personality. Um, I, I've always known the personality types of my family and those that I lead at work. It's so important uh, for your staff to know uh, because personalities are so different and, um, and you lead people differently. You don't lead everybody the same. But I have been fascinated. I haven't done deep dives into how personality works with grieving, but I have observed um, the different personality types. Of course, you know, the Enneagram personality uh, is, is an ancient typing system. Um, you know, there are others, Myers-Briggs, you know, DISC profile, all of these that many of us have taken if we've been in any leadership, especially over the years. But I love the Enneagram. And the reason I love the Enneagram is not only does it, I, you know, nail us to a T, uh, it also gives us a pathway for growth. And, and that's what, in my opinion, differentiates it from other personality typing systems. And so I love the Enneagram, love studying the Enneagram. And I have observed, um, you know, how certain personality types may uh, walk through grief. And uh, just as an example, you know, the, our personality, we're basically, uh, the Enneagram divides us into nine personality types. And of that nine, um, three are heart types, three are head types, and three are body types that we lead. Our personalities um, lead from that area. I'm in the heart center. I'm a, I'm a two on the Enneagram, uh, which is called the helper, or I like to call it the befriender. Um, but um, I kind of lead from my heart. Now, the idea is to be balanced. Our, our, uh, our heart intelligence and our brain intelligence, our head intelligence and our body intelligence, our intuition, uh, the idea is to is to balance those out. We see some people who are overly logical and not in touch with their heart and their body. We see some people who go from the gut, uh, you know, all the time, and and, and they're really good. Uh, you know, my, my brother is a is uh, our sheriff here in Henry County, and he has gut instinct that would blow your mind. 
I mean, he it's it's finally honed over the years. Now, sometimes he needs to use a little bit more of his heart and he'll use a little bit more of his head. Um, but we tend to lead from whatever uh, you know we fall into, and then we have to bring those other centers of intelligence around us. But from the aspect of personality in grief, let's take a four on the Enneagram, uh, who would what would be called the romantic, um, who is very comfortable with difficult emotions. They, they, in fact, I have friends that I say they're happiest when they're sad. You know, they just, these are the artists. These are the songwriters. These are the people who are very comfortable and they, they're, they're great friends for people who are grieving because they can sit with your pain and they can honor your pain. And, but maybe a downfall there, they may wallow in their pain. They may cling to their pain. You take a seven on the Enneagram, the enthusiast, who's just always just the next greatest experience. They're always looking for fun. They're awesome friends to have, but they their whole personality is based on avoiding pain. They don't want, and so they replace pain with fun. I'm thinking of a gentleman right now. He, um, I buried his wife of 57 years. And six weeks later, he was married to someone else. Yeah. And I remember him coming in. Uh, he was married, and, like actually through the ceremony, six weeks. We are done, married and moving on, moving on. Now, I had him pegged as a, a seven a long time before that. But what happened, he said, I just, I remember waking up for about four weeks after, you know, my wife died. I remember waking up and saying, I, I can't take this. I can't take this anymore. I can't take this feeling anymore. And he reconnected with a childhood uh, sweetheart who had lost her husband and boom, they were married. Now that is him trying to avoid the pain of, I know he loved his wife. Of course, his kids, that it blew their kids. I mean, it, it was a real problem as it would be. Um, but, but that was him trying to replace pain with a, a more positive emotion. So I think we need to be aware of our personality type. He should have pushed back against that. Sometimes what happens, and I've seen this over and over again, is they jump into a bad relationship and, and it's, it's much worse than they ever thought it would be. So, um, so the different types will grieve, I think, differently. Obviously, when we have a, a, a death um, our lives are out of control. We can't control that. Obviously, if we could control it, we wouldn't allow our loved one to pass. Um, and so there are some personality types that have to be in control. And so them giving up control is very painful to them. So that's going to create some, some added um, complications in their grief because they're out of control and their life feels out of control and they're not comfortable being out of control. There's some personality types that are very comfortable just, you know, laissez-faire through life. You know, they're just going with the flow. Um, they may be able to handle things a little bit and handle the grief process maybe a little bit better. Um, so I think our personality does play into our grieving process. Um, I think at a baseline, we're all we're we're all in, we're all uh, subject to the same emotions. Um, but I think it can be nuanced, let's say, in certain personality types. Yeah, that's really insightful and something we could all hopefully learn from. So I sure. appreciate that very much.
Sure. Um, a question I have been dying to ask during okay. this conversation is sure. one that is really timely. Um, the holidays are coming up. They're, they're upon us. And yes. I'm wondering if you would share with us uh, some mindful ways that we can grieve and or honor our loved ones who have passed. Sure, sure. The holidays are, especially Thanksgiving and Christmas, I would say, are are very family-oriented, very meaningful times. My, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Uh, Christmas, you know, I, I can do without all the gifts. Uh, I, I mean, let's just get together and eat and have fun. And that that's great. And Thanksgiving, that's why I love Thanksgiving. We're not giving gifts. We're just, we're just gorging on good food, right? <laughs> but there are empty plates. There are empty seats there that correspond with holes in our heart. And so I think the holidays are a wonderful time to remember and to share stories and to um, honor our loved ones that are no longer with us. And I think that we do it best through sharing memories. Um, again, it can be something funny and it, it, it'll bring, you'll be laughing one minute, you'll be crying the next. One thing that our family does when my grandmother passed away in 2017, um, I put a candle, a big candle in her casket spray. And we lit that. It just candles kind of soften things. And then I pulled that candle out and I've saved that candle. And so at holidays, uh, at Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, we get a, uh, we get a fresh, uh, some fresh flowers, a ring of flowers that goes around the candle. And we light the candle and remember my grandmother uh, through that lit candle and uh, my grandfather now as well. Um, that's one. You can use a symbol uh, as a, uh, as kind of a ritual. Um, you can honor your loved one and remember your loved one by doing something that they would have liked to have done, that they enjoyed. Um, and it may be, maybe you can make a certain food, uh, a cake or a pie or, or something that they really, really loved and honor them and remember them that way. Um, but uh, I just think whatever you do, <clears throat> call their name, remember them, share stories about them, and keep their memories alive. Isn't that what we really want? Don't we want to be remembered more than anything? Um, uh, especially uh, if, if, if it's a child. Uh, parents who lose children, they don't want their name uh, to be lost. They don't want their memory to be lost. So when you see your friend in a store and, and, and you, well, some people don't want to mention their name, please, by all means say, you know, I was, I was just, you know, thinking about Jordan the other day and how he used to do this, say their name. It's so very important to say your loved one's name. Um, and I think that that really is um, through all of life. Uh, we, we love to hear our loved one's names. So I think calling our loved ones names and remembering them, honoring them, sharing stories and um, putting them front and center in their memory front and center, I think, in our holidays is a wonderful, a wonderful uh, thing to do. And Christmas time, you know, certain ornaments, uh, we give out ornaments uh, to families who have had a loss and um, in that way they can remember them in the holiday season. And that's important. Uh, as well. But whether you're using a, a symbol or um, an experience that they like to do, um, you know, maybe maybe they were sports fans and love the Colts and you all go to a Colts game 
uh, or or some something else that they uh, love to do. Uh, but but by all means, remembering them and honoring them and and uh, having a place for them at the table. I like that quite a bit. As you were talking about that, it got me thinking about uh, a way that our family could, I don't know, just honor my dad while uh-huh. we get together for the holidays. So um, if you remember during his funeral, you know, all, all the bears, the the pallbearers were wearing those bright yellow hats. And yes. that's what my dad always wore because my mom is now legally blind and that's how she would find him, you know, if right. they go to, to rural King or to, you know, Walmart yes. or wherever they go. And that's how she would spot him in a crowd. Awesome. And so yes. he always wore that. And, um, yes. we gave out several of those at his funeral, but that would be, I have yes. one that's just mine and yes. I keep it with right. me. Um, but that might be kind of nice to, to stick that out, you know, oh, just wonderful. At, his, at his place at the table or yes. keep it around during, during the holidays to right. remember. Right. So that's, that's a way our family could do that. Absolutely. Amy, do I remember, right? Didn't, didn't your dad, I remember he was, he loved to cook and mm. grill and did he, did, did he not have his own barbecue sauce? Do I remember that? He has a, a line of sauces called Tad yes. McBride sauces. And he has, yes. um, so it's a samurai sauce, which is like a soy based sauce. And he has um, matador sauce, which is kind of spicy. And uh-huh. um, he has a pirate sauce, which is like really great with seafood. And so, yeah, he was always perfecting that and making um, yes. uh, pancakes and, and waffles and all kinds of things. And actually I, I posted recently to Facebook, my son has kind of taken over that oh, station in our household. So he awesome. loves to get up. And one of my favorite memories of my dad was waking up. He would wake up on Saturday mornings and always make this elaborate breakfast. You know, this yes. big old burly construction man who's like, yes. you know, right. stacking up the pancakes. Right, right. Um, but he um, he would do that. And now my son does it too. So it's, yes. it's his joy. And it's beautiful to see that. What, what a what a joy and a blessing oh, yeah, that is. Absolutely. So uh, I'm wondering if you would lead us in a mindfulness practice. Sure, sure. I was thinking, Amy, if I could read a poem um, by the late poet John O'Donohue about grief. I think that it would kind of bring all that we've talked today uh, together and um, the poem basically starts the journey of grief, and it also shows exiting the wilderness of grief. And it's a poem that has uh, been meaningful to me for many years, and um, I, I would love to just share that with our uh, listening audience, if that's okay. So maybe maybe we could just um, pause and quiet our our minds and. Uh, our senses that from the from everything going on around us and, and maybe close our eyes if you would like you don't have to whatever you, you would like to do just get in a position of comfortableness and, and open your your mind and your heart to this poem entitled for grief by john o'donohue the poem reads when you lose someone you love your life becomes strange The ground beneath you gets fragile. Your thoughts make your eyes unsure. And some dead echo drags your voice down where words have no confidence. Your heart has grown heavy with loss 
And though this loss has wounded others too, no one knows what has been taken from you when the silence of absence deepens. Flickers of guilt kindle regret for all that was left unsaid and undone. There are days when you wake up happy, again inside the fullness of life, until the moment breaks and you are thrown back onto that black tide of loss. There are days when you have your heart back. You are able to function well until in the middle of work or encounter suddenly with no warning you are ambushed by grief. It becomes hard to trust yourself. All you can de depend on now is that sorrow will remain faithful to itself. More than you, it knows the way and it will find the right time to pull and pull the rope of grief until that rope coiled hill of tears has reduced to its last drop. And this is the hopeful part. Gradually, you will learn acquaintance with the invisible form of your departed. And when the work of grief is done, the wound of loss will heal, and you will have learned to wean your eyes from that gap in the air and be able to enter the hearth in your soul where your loved one has awaited your return all the time. Isn't that a beautiful poem? I love his work. Gone too soon, as we have said. Yes, <laughs> of absolutely. many people. Absolutely, yes. Gorgeous, gorgeous poem. Thank you for sharing that today. Yes. I wanted to chat for a few minutes around uh, your work and sure. um, then we'll get into a little bit of um, maybe how folks can learn more about you. Sure. Um, I, I know that your funeral home recently won the Pursuit of Excellence Award. Oh, yes. yes. National Funeral Directors Association. So yes. huge congratulations for that. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you what so much. What an honor. Um, I know from working with you, I'm sure it is uh, centered around your hospitality and it's centered sure. around your your care of the families who um, entrust their services to to you. And so I'm wondering, um, a, a random question that uh -huh. I have always been wanting to ask you is, sure. what is one of the most unique funerals that you have ever been to or, mm. or served a mm. family during? Unique. Um, well, <laughs> that's, I hadn't thought of that question. Um, when you deal with people, Amy, you deal with unique people. And um, it, it is it is amazing the the ideas and some of the desires that some people have. Um, you know, uh, as I'm talking here, I'm beginning to think of of unique things that that we've done. Um, I, I, I buried a gentleman who was a retired Marine officer and who had this desire 
to be standing up at his funeral service. And, uh, you know, I've always unique. Yeah, that's that's before. No, no. In fact, I have not thought of that one for many, many years. But when his wife asked me to do that, I'm, I'm like, first of all, I don't even know how I can accomplish this. But I've always said, you know, as long as, you know, nothing is unethical or immoral and a family wants it, we'll do our best to to make it happen. I did uh, have them sign 10 different waivers from my attorney uh, for this, but we we accomplished what he wanted to be doing. He was in a casket um, and he was standing up. And so he said he wanted to greet those who came to his visitation, quote, man to man. And so that was important to him and we made that happen for them. So um, that would be one of the more, uh, shall we say, extreme things. Um, I did not see that coming. To be fair, I did not see that coming. I, I didn't see it coming either till I till I remembered it. Uh, when you said unique, uh, you know, we've we've done a lot of themed funerals, whether it's uh, having someone's Harley Davidson there or uh, a tractor or putting the casket uh, of a fireman on, on the, a fire truck. Uh, or in a boat, or in a horse and buggy. Um, we've done a lot of things like that today. The, the I have a funeral going on right now at this very minute, and uh, she was an artist, and uh, she is surrounded by her beautiful paintings. The funeral home is full of beautiful artwork, and um, that is uh, that is us being mindful and understanding what was truly important to her and her family um, and and making that meaningful, making a service meaningful. So so um, while most most services follow kind of a, a similar um, you know outline, not all do, you know, not all services do. And so um, we, we we can get creative and, uh, and do some pretty pretty interesting things uh, for families. Very unique. And and you say families. I'm wondering how far is your reach? I mean, do folks uh-huh. who don't live in Newcastle use your services, or how how does this work? Yeah. So so we are licensed uh, in Indiana, uh, and Kentucky, and Ohio. Actually, we do quite a few funerals in Cincinnati. I mentioned earlier that my dad is a minister, and so. In the church, uh, in the churches that we've been associated with, they often want to use our services, and so we do lots of funerals uh, each year in Indianapolis and really all through Indiana and uh, uh, into Kentucky and, and some into Cincinnati. You know, it creates a little. We just have we have their services and the visitation right there in their church. We come to their home, make funeral arrangements, and uh, have the services there in their church. Um, and so it, it, uh, works out very well. And so, yeah, we, we, uh, go all over the, all over the state really. I like that. Thanks for letting us know. Sure. So this is, um, a very personal question. Yes. Uh, I want to talk a little bit before we wrap up here about wishes for pre-planning. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and, and if you have yours, like what, 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 what do we do? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I, I'll never forget uh, when one of our weekly staff meetings, I, I walked in 
to the staff meeting and I caught everybody off guard. I said, you know how we talk about the importance of pre-planning and, and uh, letting your family know your wishes. Uh, and most of us do not have our wishes down. So today during our staff meeting, our sole agenda, we're gonna make our own funeral arrangements. And how did that go over? Uh, let me tell you, um, it it was uh, our our staff got a real sense of how difficult and emotional it is to do that, and we we planned it all the way down to the pallbearers and and uh, or whether we were going to be buried or or whatever, and uh, the songs that we want, and uh, you you know uh, for a man especially, you know how to easily figure out who your best friends are. Uh, who are your pallbearers? Who are the six men you want to carry you? Um, you'll you'll figure out who your best friends are, your lifelong friends right then. And so uh, it is a very emotional experience. But yes, yes, uh, myself and all of our staff have our prearrangements done and in our files um, at the funeral home. So um, I am very much a uh, traditionalist. Uh, I believe in viewing. Uh, I believe in a, having a time together as a community to support uh, people who have had loss and to walk with them through that process. So I, I will have a, uh, I'll be embalmed and be in a wood casket and have a visitation. And then we'll have a funeral service the following day and uh, be buried uh, in our family plot out at South Mount Cemetery in Newcastle. And uh, there are certain, certain things that, um, you know, I I would like, um, but what I always remind me, in fact, if you look at my prearrangements down at the very bottom of the front page, there's a paragraph that says, I'm I'm simply expressing some things that was would be meaningful to me. Please do not have any guilt. Uh, if you want to make any changes or add to it, I, I and it starts off for those that I love. I want to make sure they know that the funeral may be about me, but the funeral itself is for them. They're going to have to learn to live without me in their life. And so, and so I want it to be for them. Whatever is meaningful for them will be meaningful for me. Um, I have some reasons for wanting a few things, um, but, but that's okay. Um, uh, if they, I want, I want them to add or change whatever they need to do. Um, we, we live in a generation that's all about me, 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 me. It's all about me. Uh, it's what my wants are, what my desires are. Uh, and, and a lot of times people will push their desires on, on, for funerals and in their way of doing things onto their children. And it hurts them more than it helps them. Um, you know, I was just meeting with a, a lady uh, last week, and um, she came in, she wanted direct cremation, no services, and her daughter, who couldn't get a word in edgewise, her adult daughter, who was in from Canada to help her mom with these arrangements, finally burst out into tears and says, Mom, I can't, I can't deal with this. You know, uh, I'm, it's going to take me a while to get here. I'm going to need to spend some time with you. And uh, and she was, and most people have their best interest at heart. 
they do what they think is best for their children instead of letting their children decide what is best for them. And they put these demands, you know, I'll come back and haunt you if you don't do this, this, and this. Well, uh, be careful what you wish for because you can do more harm to your kids than, than help them sometimes. And, um, and so, so we, we need to keep that in mind that while the service is about us, it's not for us. Those are great tips. So the kicker, before I let you promote whatever uh -huh. it is you would like to promote, what has serving as a funeral director taught you about death and what has it taught you about life? Well, that is that is a, a powerful question. And I have I consider it a huge blessing uh, to every day be confronted with my own mortality. It sounds very morbid. Um, however, it keeps it keeps me when I look at this person I've just placed in a casket. Um, I, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that one day, Tom, that will be you. And so what death has taught me really is how to live, how to live in the moment, how to be mindful, how to um, let things go that aren't important and to to make sure that those that I love that are meaningful to me know that I love them. Because I see people all the time that they they weren't given that gift to be able to tell their family that they loved them. And, and I want, when I exit this world, I want to know that everything is good and everything is right. There's no relationship that is, that is uh, hindered from my actions. I want, I want it to be, I want my relationship with God to be right. I want my relationship with my family to be right and my relationship with my friends to be right. And so really death uh, has taught me to how to live. Um, you know, the scripture says, uh, teach, teach me to number my days. Um, there's a, you know, there's a practice uh, in the Tibetan uh, Buddhist tradition where the monks literally have pictures of corpses in, in uh, where they live. And they, in, in various stages, literally, of, of decomposition. I know that's very graphic to paint that picture. However, they look at those every day, and they, and they know one day that's going to be me. And so um, I feel like I've been blessed walking with families through this because it keeps me continually you know, I worried, Amy, when I was very young funeral director, I thought, am I going to get callous to this? I saw some old funeral directors that were just calloused and and uh, didn't care. And they were 20 years past burnout. And I remember praying, Lord, help me. I don't I don't want to be this. You know, if I ever get this way, I just want to get out. I don't want to be this way. And it's actually been the opposite. I think the longer that I serve, the more tender that I am, the more I feel other people's pain, and the more aware I am of my own mortality. Um, if you stop and think about it, it's pretty difficult. And I've wrestled with this for several years now. It's pretty difficult to live in a community for 40 years and to serve families as, as I have for 30, almost 33 years now. And, and I, I go and I watch, I see them at the store and I see them at church and I see them 
uh, at Rotary and, and things like that. And I watched them age. I just watched them age. And that has been really profoundly difficult for me of late. Uh, that that's uh, you know that's just been in front and center of my and, and I'm aging too. I I I I see that and I get that. But um, but being a funeral director really has has taught me how to live. Yeah, okay. in a meaningful, uh, mindful uh, way. I'm wondering if um, you, there are any, if there are ways that folks can get in touch with you or learn more about your services. Sure. Well, sure. Um, our website is uh, simply sprolsfamilycares.com. Sproles, S-P-R-O-L-E-S, familycares.com. And there is a lot of information available on our website, uh, whether it's grief-related resources uh, or pre-planning and just educational type of, of information. Um, they can learn about me there. They can also reach out to me uh, through our website. Um, I'm always honored to answer uh, any questions or help someone along their uh, grief journey. Wonderful. And as with the rest of our guests, uh, our our podcast here concludes with the glowy daily reflection practice. Yes. It, yes. it looks like you might be grabbing some notes. I'm going to let you well, do that. <laughs> you know, I remember this from your book. Oh, yes. uh, I read your book and uh, I remember that being from there. Um, and uh, so um, I, I did actually write a few things down uh, thinking you might spring that on me. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are, Tom. <laughs> Um, as you mentioned, uh, the glowy daily reflection practice is included in my book, The Chaos Antidote, a fable about mindfulness and its companion workbook. Um, this original um, acronym stands for something that you're grateful for. The G is for that. The L is for lift up, something that needs resources um, or, or someone else might need resources. Um, and the O is for observe, which we have talked a lot about observing during our conversation the W is for wholesome intention, and I know we've touched on that quite a bit during our conversation as well. And the last one is one that I love. The Y stands for you are, and we get to send ourselves off with a positive affirmation about ourselves. So I'll I'll lead you through this. Tom, what is something you're grateful for? Well, um, I am grateful for families who entrust their loved ones to my care. I am continually grateful uh, for for that. I'm grateful for my beautiful wife of 32 years and my three wonderful children and three incredible grandchildren. And I'm also grateful for my health. I've, I've lived with type 1 diabetes for 30 years, and, and I'm grateful to still have, have good health to this point. And so those are some things that I am grateful for. And if I might just add perfectly here, a gratitude practice will help those who are grieving. A daily gratitude journal, writing down three, four, five things, some days will be more, but at least three things that you are grateful for uh, will help you through the grieving process. Um, so that is that is my gratitude section. Love it. So, and yeah, the, the gratitude I've learned a lot recently about really what we focus on, we create more of. And so if right. we're focusing on things that we're grateful for, it will, yes. it will increase those things. 
the L is for lift up. What is something that might need resources in you or someone you love's life? Yeah. So right now, the burden on my heart is lifting up families who, who are choosing not to have services for their loved ones. Um, I'm burdened for their, for their complicated grief, for them not allowing others to support them. Uh, we're in a pandemic of this right now. And, um, and I'm concerned about many, many families who are, are choosing to uh, bypass what would be helpful to them. And so I just kind of lift them up right now um, and, and uh, trust that more and more will choose to uh, in some way, it doesn't have to be how I do it, but in some way to allow community support and to honor and remember their loved one in a public manner. What is something that you observe? Mm. I observe that I am not as sharp as I once was. <laughs> I, I observe that 32 years has of, of, of providing care has taken its toll on Tom. And, um, and so I am very well aware of that. And uh, of course, I've got some younger directors who just are incredible. They're better than I ever was. So uh, I'm utilizing them more and taking some proactive steps. But but uh, when I when I uh, just sit back and observe uh, in a very real way, I, I observe that uh, age is catching up with me. What is your wholesome intention? My intention is to show up for the ones that I love and care about. Uh, that starts obviously with those closest to me, but it extends to those that I love and care and serve in the funeral home. And so I intend to be there for them, even if that means um, setting aside some of my own uh, uh, agendas. Um, I'm not, not to the exclusion. I, I obviously have plenty of time to, but, but I will be there for my loved ones, um, whether it's my, my uh, young son who is uh, an RN and cardiac ICU at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Um, I just came back uh, two nights ago. We, we took a quick trip out there uh, to uh, support him. And uh, we, we literally spent two days cooking and stuck in his refrigerator. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm going to show up uh, for, for those that I love. That's my intention. Last one is you are, Tom, you are a kind and helpful companion to those experiencing loss. Very, very good. Very, very good. Well, Tom, it has been an absolute pleasure. This has been rich, um, full of depth, and I appreciate uh, the vulnerability that you shared um, with me and with the listeners and um, helping us as we think about how we can head into holidays or other seasons of sure. our lives and um, honor the grief inside of ourselves and honor those who um, have passed before us and that we can live well while we're here and in, yes. in the full knowledge that uh, we are not forever in this body. And right. that's a, that's a, it's a difficult, but necessary and yes. reminder. So yes. Thank you for that.
Thank you. Um, I'm going to wrap us up here. Um, from my heart to yours, may you live with ease. This is your host, Amy Morgan, signing off.